Hello and welcome to the Ag Lead Show, the podcast where we talk about what we often don't want to talk about in agriculture, the people side of the business. So today's show is going to be a joint conversation that I had recently with Annalisa Laka of Farm Journal. So Annalisa is a colleague of mine. I've worked with her in various capacities. She's in one of the editors in some of the Farm Journal publications. She's also a dairy farmer along with her husband. So she's got a lot of great experience from the editorial side, the business side, as well as being a farmer. So in this upcoming episode, listen to Annalisa and I tackle a topic that's pretty interesting for anybody who either has employees or frankly is trying to build a business on their own. The topic is motivation. We talk about how motivation is actually critical to business success. We cover five areas in this conversation, performance, retention, morale, culture, and safety, and how motivation is really about really strong engagement, whether it's with an individual or with a group, whether it's with a work team, either remote or in person, like on the farm in her case. So we talk about how building a motivated workforce helps with focus, attitude, productivity, culture. I mean, it goes into everything. One of the other things that we cover is the concept of influence. And I am a big believer that your ability to influence others is critical if you're in any kind of leadership position. And that influence is important, and it's primarily important in our discussion today around the concept of motivation. So if you have the ability to effectively influence others, you've got their ear, you've got their attention, and you're able to discuss and learn what motivates those individuals that you work with and how to better build systems, you know, opportunities for performance, rewards, and yes, sometimes for behavioral change around what really motivates those individuals that you work with. So I hope that you enjoy the conversation and the interview today with Annalisa and I on the subject of motivation. Welcome to uh, Farm Journal Field Days. We are so excited for this panel. I'm Annalisa Laka. I am the Dairy Editorial Director for Farm Journal. And I'm particularly interested in this um, discussion about human resources because my husband and I have a dairy and a team of employees that we get to manage. So I'm thrilled that I get to learn along with you. Today, joining me for this discussion are Sarah Beth Aubrey, Sarah's mission is to enhance success and profitability in agriculture by building capacity in people. She strives to foster that potential through one-on-one -on -one executive coaching. She's also the author of several books, so we're excited to have Sarah with us. Thank you, Annalisa. Can't wait to get started and, and happy to be here today. Sarah, the first question I have is for you. You know, when we think about uh, a team of people at a business, whether that's a farm business or a small business, what role does motivation play in keeping employees and retaining them and also encouraging high performance? Because I think we know that not only is finding employees a, a challenge right now, but keeping them and motivating them and helping them perform at their best is also a huge challenge. Yeah, you have started off with a big one. And that is, it's a good place to start because it kind of creates an umbrella for this entire conversation around motivation. The role that motivation plays in both performance, retention, general you know, happiness, 
culture, which I think we're going to talk about culture here in a, in a few minutes later in our discussion, the, the answer to that is it's critical. It's really also a lot of things that sometimes employers don't think about. Having motivated employees who are engaged, because really motivation is a lot about deep engagement in whatever an individual is doing, in their role, in their you know, board that they serve on, in the relationship they're in, you know, you name it. And that engagement is important because it lends itself to focus, which clearly aids in performance. It keeps the attitude uh, in a positive direction, productive direction which is essential for building a good culture where people want to come to work, clearly uh, part of the retention piece. And frankly, for us in agriculture, you know this very well, having a dairy that you just referenced in as you introduced yourself, it's a safety issue. Engaged employees are safer employees. And that's from a standpoint of, you know, not being on their, their phone at an inappropriate time, operating equipment, working around livestock, whatever it is. And so they really need to buy in to whatever it is that the organization's mission is doing, whatever the organization's activities are. All those things are essential and motivation drives that. And I think sometimes we overlook the word motivation as something that's for the best performers only. You know, she's a really motivated person. She's going to really be successful someday. You know, you hear that. That's great. But those individuals are already self-motivated. You know, as leaders in an operation, it's our job that the whole team has at least a minimum level of, you can use the word motivation, but willingness to engage and perform at a good level. We'll get into a lot of details here as we go, but motivation for one is also motivation for all. And I wanna share that before moving on too, because if you've got, we all know when there's a team and there's one person or two people that are not uh, either pulling their weight, that drags the whole team's level of engagement as well as motivation and productivity down. And it also can create a hostile environment too as people feel uh, a resentment or, what, or whatever. Sarah, when we talk about, it can be frustrating in any organization when some people are, um, let's say not pulling their weight, and so as a leader, how can you ensure, like, what is your role in ensuring that all employees are motivated? You mentioned briefly, like, that that can be, you know, some, some of the best employees are self-motivated. Some of our, if we want to categorize them as worst employees or employees that could use the most growth, um, are not self-motivated. So how do we get them to get everybody to be on the same, like, level playing field in terms of motivation? Yeah, you're exactly right. And I like the way you put that. Most room for growth, right? And we, yeah. and in, in any given situation, even people that you already think are, are very motivated can have that need to get to a different place. You know, they can, if they, they could be really self-motivated, see the culture shifting in a way they don't like because there's been a change in leadership. They've got problems at home. The industry is dealing with some really bad circumstances, prices, global issues. I mean, we have a lot of that stuff happening right now. So this is a critical conversation for just what we're facing as, as humans, as well as leaders of people. So what is leadership's role in motivating others? It's about the ability to positively influence is how I would tend to look at it. And when I give that remark. I've been interestingly met with a little bit of resistance for that. 
which I would say at first I was a little surprised. But I realized that some people think of the word influence or one's ability to influence the behaviors, choices, actions of others as something that is either shallow or could be considered um, egotistical. We've made the word influencer uh, a bit of a, a noun now. <laughs> and it's a person who does influencing, you know, and, and I'm not so I'm not speaking about that, I'm not speaking about the the type of celebrities or something like that that you see that are influencers online and they just want you to buy this product that they're getting, you know, free swag for promoting on Instagram. Okay. That's, that's a separate thing. Influence is not about ego and you don't have to be a charismatic powerhouse speaker to be an effective leader that can influence their team in order to get them to the level of performance and uh, a positive culture that they're looking for. Realize influence for leaders is essential because leaders have to understand the needs, clearly understand the needs of their customer. Their customer is probably, in this case that we're speaking of today, their employee. So they've got to understand that employee's needs. And really, you, they need to understand the needs of their followers. Again, a lot of times when I share that in a program, uh, growers in, in particular will say things like, I don't have followers, okay, I don't, I'm not even on social media. Again, we've made that a noun. Your followers are people that need you. They're your employees, your family, your, your peers on the board, maybe industry people that know what you're out there um, posting and they're listening to you, so you're advocating. Those are your followers. And so, with, you know, Gallup uh, is a large research organization. I reference a study that they did with 10,000 people. That's a lot of individuals. They did it over a number of years and they continue to collect data on it. This study references what they call the four basic needs of followers. And I'm not going to get into them in detail. I want to have a good conversation today, but they're really simple. And if you think about them, they're what your employees need from you first in order for you to then begin to understand where they are and help move them in the positive direction. And that could be motivation. It could be a behavior correction. It could be changing the role that they play to be something more suitable. Who knows? Those four are trust, compassion, stability, and hope. So I guess for me, the way that I would round that out is that today's employees desire connection and support more than ever. And so if we can understand that, figure out where the gap is, we're really going to help up level that motivation by understanding their needs first. One thing that I think is interesting to think about, like when I think about our experience um, with our team of employees, my husband and I are in our mid thirties and we have employees that are much older than us. And we have employees that are much younger than us. You know, we have several part-time high school employees and they all desire that ability to have some kind of flexibility and choice in both their schedule, their workflow, which as, as you probably can imagine on a dairy is not always a possibility, right? Because we have things that have to happen at the same time every day. But one of the things that we have had a challenge with, and Sarah, I would like for you to address this a little bit, is how we can create connection, not only between ourselves and those different generations that work with us, but between them too, right? So our oldest employee having a meaningful connection with our youngest employee and really enabling them to have meaningful and effective communication between them. <laughs> well, that's a big question for, for us today. I mean, it's huge because in agriculture right now, 
literally we have up to four generations in the workplace and we potentially even have five generations on the farm. If you consider, you know, the, the elders that may own land still and be taking income from that, but maybe past the point in their lives of actually being a you know, contributor to the labor or the decision making. So that is a tremendous variety in people's experience, their knowledge, you know, the seasons under their belt, their points of view, the cultural experiences that happened to them throughout the course of their lives that shaped their viewpoints and shaped their attitudes. This varies widely. And guess what? You can't do anything about that. Absolutely nothing. You know, a person's generation, the time when they were born, the formative years in their lives is theirs, their own. So what I really always try to encourage people to avoid is quit crime, trying to change that. You know, um, that's I don't actually think that's that's fair or even legitimate to change that experience or ask them to come at this from a different set of experiences than the ones that they've had. However, individuals all have to compromise and potentially change behaviors to work together effectively and have good communication, productivity, meet the needs of the organization, all of that stuff. So that's on everybody to do that. You know, I would I would comment that how do you create a connection? Well, if you're the leader of the organization, one of the biggest things you've got to do is set people up for success. Let me give you this example. You're going to be familiar with it. So what happens when we get, um, you know, let's use the example of dad. We've got a pretty good organization. Son or daughter's armed with that degree from trade school or, or college. They've maybe even had a couple of years in the job. They come back to the organization. What's the first thing that often gets put on their plate? Employees. <laughs> I see this again and again in the peer groups I run. So you've got a younger person, great skill set, strong knowledge, probably extremely self-motivated, happy to be there. Dad and uncle or mom are proud, but they throw them to the wolves. And not that the employees are, are bad, but they haven't got, gotten set up for success. So one of the ways to create really good connections is, first of all, role clarity. You know, one of the things that happens after that point is, A, you know, that young employee may be sitting around going, what did I do to deserve this? Um, and B, we often don't set them up with a clear chain of command. Now, I do a lot of executive coaching, and one of the coaching clients that I had a couple of years ago was a dad and daughter. And a couple of the employees were even older than dad, and he was in his 50s. But he kept undermining her, not intending to, but letting employees come back to him for the answers, even though she was supposed to be delivering that you know, chain of command. We worked through that and, and it changed things. And you break those connection points when the chain of command's broken, right? If people's roles aren't clear, we don't have an open discussion about them. We also have to allow some conflict to happen and then to work through it in a productive way with both parties. But we really need to make sure that we're upfront about that. And I think we can talk more about communicating across generations here in a few minutes, but in terms of having a positive connection and a leader's role is to, you know, kind of look at the whole operation, look at the field in front of them and say, I've got people from differing backgrounds, different points of views, different skills. They serve in different roles. How do I get them to the place where we are talking and I set them all up for success? The long-term employees who maybe deserve some deference and, um, and have some really great knowledge to mentor and share 
as well as the younger new people who may be having new current skill sets that put them in leadership roles, but they lack the seasons under their belt. So that leader's role is really to facilitate that connection by making sure everyone is on board and understands, again, I always talk about role clarity being one of the major ways to avoid conflict. So I think we can talk a little bit more about generational communications in a few, but hopefully that is a, is a good start. Sarah, you mentioned getting um, employees off to a good start. And one of the things that we also know about um, employees who are motivated, particularly the ones that we, we talked about who maybe um, need more growth and development, is that if they can feel really competent in their jobs, they often feel more motivated to perform them. One of the things that we um, talk about a lot on our farm in terms of culture is communication. We have a little saying among our teams that there's no such thing as over-communicating because I really don't think that there is. One of the challenges, though, and, and we mentioned it briefly, and Sarah, I was hoping you could um, speak to this a little bit, but one of the challenges is getting, like, for example, um, we have an older Mexican gentleman that works for us and a, a, a young girl who's she just turned 16. And so getting them to communicate is often a challenge. So how can we you know, culture differences aside, how can we help bridge that gap of communication across multiple generations within our teams? <laughs> also another awesome question, and all of these are. And the thing I love about these questions is that I know, you know, everyone watching is facing this, whether they only have family members on the team and there's only a couple of them, or they have hundreds of employees from all kinds of ages and cultural backgrounds. This stuff you know, none of us get a free pass on this. <laughs> and so it's a really important question to ask. One thing I want to start with, with regard to culture, and I'm not going to, I'm not referring to culture as in someone's, you know, cultural background in terms of, you know, ethnically where they grew up and, and those things. We're talking about the culture of the environment where they work, your farm. And what's really important to realize to start this off is that culture is either created or allowed. Always, every time, no exceptions. Now, let me give you a really super quick story example. I was called to do some executive coaching for a, a, a family, um, and I got called by one of the wives, and no surprise in that case. What happened was dad had given most of the leadership to two, the two brothers. He was really stepping aside, but he still sort of ruled with that kind of quiet iron fist over here, even though he was, you know, kind of had given them the decision-making, the financials, all that stuff. Sister came home, dad hired her brother, her husband. The two boys did not get to participate in this. Now, they were upset, no one was happy. We find out later, brother-in-law didn't want the job all that much, but felt obligated. Time goes on, about the time I get called in, the, the older son, brother, is, is sullen. He's not even speaking to the brother-in-law. You know, he's, he, there's a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, and everybody else is tiptoeing around him. What had happened is, and we brought this to their attention, the culture that had been allowed, that, that they didn't like that dad ran, they continued to do. They did the same thing. It was the culture that had been allowed. No one liked it. They just didn't make the effort to change it. And that's the thing about culture. It's not easy, but it's extremely important. You know, it takes, a, it takes intention and it takes an intentional approach on a regular basis. 
And as you asked about communication, it's got to be communicated to everybody. You know, it can't just be some sort of secret that's held for the few. This is a, it's got to be pervasive throughout the organization. And so I, we've got a lot of tips that we could do, but I, just a couple of those that, that work, especially when the culture is broken or you know there's a real crack, you know, and you're thinking, I've got two employees who just don't seem to be able to communicate um, naturally or it's not, you know, some people hit it off, some don't. But that's not a good enough excuse. We've got to make the communication work for them to be able to do their jobs. So one of the things I like to start with is just acknowledging the differences. And once you bring people to a place where they can share and accept that they may be different than someone else, they have different experiences, they have different points of view, uh, they like different pieces of the business, they don't like certain jobs that they have to do, who cares what it is? Acknowledging those can really diffuse a lack of communication, it actually opens the door and creates a little bit of, um, you know, there's a common language that comes when people are sharing what they, what they know, they recognize is different between them. And so another piece, and this will be the last one I'll, I'll share for now, is help people to really understand the differences in what they value. Then some people today continue to be very motivated by financial rewards. That is a strong value that they may have. Other people aren't particularly motivated by that. They want, may want a leadership role and a feeling of self-importance in order to have, a, that's a strong value that they have. What I really like to know is on teams, what do people value? You can help put them in the right spot that way. You may find that you're reworking roles and you also help people then to individually customize their approach to speaking. So if you're a leader of someone who's, Strong value is a lot of, you know, ability to be with their family, go to their son's games, coach, all that stuff. How you motivate that person and communicate to them is entirely different than how you're going to help work with and improve communication with someone who's, who really strongly just values growing in the organization, getting paid more, that kind of stuff. So you can really individualize your approach a little bit, but it's important to make sure people have a chance to learn this about one another. Just remember that Culture is intentional and you got to work on it um, all the time. Certainly we're at a unique point in history, right? I think that also as we're having this discussion, we're at a unique point in time. Sarah uh, mentioned briefly that harvest is just around the corner for most farmers in the Midwest. Families are having to make really tough decisions about school and sending their kids to school or keeping their kids home. When we think about navigating all of those fears and all of those complexities that our employees are dealing with, what is the role of the leader in helping your teams just get through that time? For many leaders, what's interesting is they may have empathy for all of the things going on. Like you said, employees are, are having to deal with what's going on with their kids in school or not going to school and managing the that child care, there's also a lot of personal stress going on right now, not to mention what's happening um, at work that needs to be done. And a lot of leaders may have genuine empathy for this in their hearts or in, you know, in the back of their mind, but do a pretty poor job showing it. <laughs> and so I think one thing is that that leader can A, communicate that they have empathy and they understand and they want to work with people. 
Yet at the same time, they should still expect performance. And I never tell a leader that you should accept poor performance because it's not fair to anyone else. It's not what you paid for. It's not fair for that person that's that's doing that because, again, it could be dangerous. It could be slowing the process down. So it's a balance, and I can't tell you exactly how to do that today. You know, there's not a magic word that will fix it. But demonstrating empathy while still asking for and expecting performance is important. So one tip that I can offer is what I like to call communication norms. And I encourage all organizations to create these. So what is a communication norm? It's simply making sure that you have built pathways for communication and to do that effectively. Communication is a natural process for us as humans. We are doing that right now. However, effective organizational communication is actually a systematic thing. It's a process. So if you don't have what I call communication norms on how people are staying connected, uh, keeping updated, you know, checking in, clicking through their tasks, um, you know, working with their team, all of that stuff, this is an essential time to create this. One other thing that we run into, and you asked me about generations a few minutes ago, is we cannot <laughs> at all assume how people prefer to be contacted. You know, my grandmother is 95 years old. And when you are on my Facebook page, you see, a, you know, a, a like symbol from Dot. That's her. And she likes a lot of my stuff. OK, um, she loves it. And she, you know, and then we've got people who prefer text. Some people prefer apps. Other people are like, just call me. You know, um, other people have 20,000 emails that they've never opened. And you're sending email invites. The thing that organizations can do that's an easy fix it takes a little bit of trial and error is to determine what's going to be our top pathway to communicate and use that path and expect everybody to get on the path. Now, over time, if it doesn't work, it needs shifted seasons change. And you say the weekly meetings now going to a weekly conference call. That's fine. But if you don't have a pathway that says, all right, urgent matters are texted. If I want to do a meeting, I'm going to send an invite out this way. A weekly meeting is in person you know, or weekly meeting is now conference call. Pick the norms, run them past your team, ask people how they best want to communicate, and then really build that expectation. Because like you said, um, Annalisa, right now, connection's essential. You're, we're going to lose good hires in this climate if we don't take care of that connection, because people need to feel very much supported and work in its weird way can be a really safe place for individuals right now, if you create that culture and have that communication that supports productivity, as well as like we've been talking about all day, that the team has a level of motivation that's contagious. Can you both briefly um, just tell the viewers where they can find more information about you and about um, your, your work? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And I can be found at my name, sarabethaubrey.com. So pretty easy to find me there. Uh, website, most of my social channels are also under my name. I'm on I'm Sarah Beth Aubrey on Instagram, uh, Sarah Beth Aubrey Coaching and Training on Facebook, uh, under my name on Twitter and LinkedIn. I also have a, a group on Facebook called Farm Next. And if anyone's interested in joining that, it's a it's open to everyone forum. We've got about 2,500 members in there and we just started it in January. So it continues to grow 
And our purpose for that group is one thing, to talk about developing leadership in the next generation of leaders in agriculture. So it's not a group where we post like, here's, I've got a tractor for sale, or do you guys want to buy some show lambs or whatever? You know, there's tons of those out there. Um, this one is really to discuss uh, leadership and developing people. So I'd love to see you all there. And again, thanks to Farm Journal. I love working with your organization and I'm excited to watch these programs and to you, Annalisa, happy to be here. And one more thing before you leave us here on the Ag Lead Show, we've got a few offers for you, a few ways for you to engage with us on the, your other favorite channels. Let me give you a couple of things that you could do to get more of our content, to connect with us live, and to leave comments and also engage with other people interested in the ideas behind developing and coaching the next generation of leaders in agriculture. So. One, you can join our Farm Next Facebook group. It's a small private Facebook group where we talk about what we don't like to talk about in agriculture, kind of like here on the podcast, the people side of the business. We're about 2,200 members in there and going strong, so request to join that today. I also have a new YouTube channel under Sarah Beth Aubrey, where you will find some of these podcasts as well as other videos and trainings, and we're adding to that all the time. I'm also spending quite a bit of time on Instagram these days, having a little bit more fun, a little bit more of the lighthearted side of entrepreneurship and agriculture. So follow me and join me there at Sarah Beth Aubrey SBA. And finally, the we just launched a brand new ebook called the Virtual Event Engagement Ebook. This thing is great. Uh, it's your guide to creating an event that your clients and your audiences will love chock full of advice, tips, graphics, images, access to all kinds of our knowledge capital that we've been building on over the years and especially in 2020. So whether you're an event planner or you just want to be a really good solid event participant or speaker, go and grab our new virtual event engagement ebook. You can get it super handy. Check the show notes and it will be there. I'll talk to you in the next episode.